But I'm going to introduce to you, let's see, come on up, Johnny and Nangsar. Would you welcome them, the Morses, all the way from Thailand? And I'll get your uh, podium over here, Johnny. And I wanted you to get to meet uh, Nangsar because I'm not going to surprise you and put her on the spot to speak. I did that earlier today. Uh, but I wanted you to know uh, Johnny's a third-generation missionary. His grandparents went in a very difficult time, two months of travel to get to Tibet, had all their teeth pulled and put false teeth in so they'd never have to see the dentist again, <laughs> and gave their lives to ministry, raised their kids, who then raised Johnny, and he spent his whole life there, plans to spend his last days ministering there to make an impact. And God has done a phenomenal work. And along the way, he met a woman from Burma, from the tribe that's known as the Rawang people, and uh, got to know their family and fell in love with this woman. Actually, there's a big story. We won't go into it, but actually had to win. Was it the mother or the grandmother over to get to her? (laughs) But uh, they have a wonderful family, and they became grandparents during covid and just exciting to see what God is doing with them. So uh, would you welcome again this morning, Johnny and Nangsar. And then Johnny, let you take it away. Make sure your mic's on. Is, is it on? Okay, good, good. Uh, Father, speak through Johnny now as he shares your word with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There you go. There you go. Darren turned it off. Uh, All right. Well, we're glad to be here. And uh, we bring greetings from Thailand and Burma, now called Myanmar. It's a a situation over there that's unfolding almost like in Ukraine. Just absolutely scorched earth dictatorships fighting uh, their people. And, and all of that. And yet in the midst of that, God's people are being mobilized to be the first responders to crisis situations and, and all kinds of things out there. If there's a solution in this world, it's going to be through God's people. Amen? Amen. And so just to just cap, uh, I mean, uh, follow up on, on the brief introduction there. Yes, my grandparents went out as missionaries from Oklahoma way back 1921. A missionary doctor recruited them. He was a doctor out of Indianapolis, established the first hospital in Tibet. It took them a slow boat from San Francisco to, to Hanoi, then a train up to Kunming, two months on a mule train up to the place that they uh, were to go serve. They went with their four-month-old son, my uncle Eugene. When they arrived there, this beloved doctor, six months into the start of their mission there, was killed by Tibetan bandits on a mountain, uh, foggy mountain pass. He had treated them. They loved him. The whole uh, group was just horrified. They thought they were ambushing Chinese merchants coming up the road, like the Wild West days. Shoot and then rob you blind and then move on. And they had killed their beloved doctor. They then put him on the horse and rushed him to the mission station, but it was too late. He died in my grandfather's arms. So grandpa and grandma started their work, 25 years old, with a four-month-old son up on the Tibetan borders. Two years later, my father was born there. He grew up pretty much there. He ended up learning 18 languages out in that area. Both my wife and I speak seven of those languages, 
uh, over there as well. But you're using it every day, and so uh, you don't forget it because you're, you're using it that way. But I was really impressed with Randy's Maori, man. That sounds like a complicated language. Anyway, Nangsar's people uh, today have almost in mass become Christians. In a little window of 10 years, uh, of 1950 to 1960, 100,000 people of her people group uh, came to the Lord. And it all happened because God had already, before the, even the missionaries arrived, had revealed himself to them in their oral stories and their history. They had the creation account, almost like a Garden of Eden story. They, they was embedded in their, their history as well. They had idea of the universal flood, and yet, in their case, it wasn't Noah and his ark, but the people survived and floated to safety in a hollowed-out pumpkin. And you come back here, and you can almost believe that. I saw pumpkins that big out in front of a mall, you know. And, and, and so they grow very big in the States. Well, the, the heroes, the man and the woman, uh, replenished the world after floating off in a, in a pumpkin. Then they had a story almost like the Tower of Babel, where God called all the people together, but before they scattered, of course, in the Tower of Babel story, they scattered because of rebellion against God and everything, so God had to confuse their language. But in their oral history, it said God called them together to give his word to every tribe uh, on earth. So the Rwand people, they had the de delegation that went up there, and God gave his word to them, all written out on leather, on, on pieces of leather that could be rolled up into scrolls, they packed it in their basket and went back home. They were told to go teach the people what's on there. Well, it was a long journey. By the time they got home, they were so tired. Ah, we'll share this with our people the next morning. So they were so tired, they just left their baskets on their porch. When they woke up in the morning, the dogs had eaten all the leather. So that's their story of how they lost track of God. But they were promised by angels or somebody, that one day the word would be restored to them. So back in the Japanese war, in the communist takeover in China, my grandparents and parents were all behind enemy lines, helping the U.S. Army as well, uh, and crisscrossing those mountains, looking for downed airplanes, pilots that had bailed out. My dad would write letters to the Christians and say, if you see somebody coming down, floating down to the ground, uh, you go rush to them real quick. Give him this letter, let him come to a rendezvous, and we'll then march him out to India uh, and, and all. So as he's crisscrossing and going through village after village, every evening he would open his Bible and talk to them, speak to them, share with them from Genesis all the way to the time of Christ, going through the Bible stories. And they said, oh, my goodness, that is, we know about that. We know about that. That sounds familiar. Uh, wow. And by the time he gets down to Christ and he's reading out of a leather Bible, they said, here, let us see that. Look at the cover and all. It's leather. Bite it. It's leather. My goodness, this is the lost book. This is what was going to be restored to us. And on the spot, he's not even married yet, my dad. They told him, however you're going to do it, you have to get whatever's in this, the content that's in between these two uh, bindings, into our language as well. So that motivated him. Every time they came back on furlough, he came back, went to Bible, Cincinnati Bible School for a year, 
married my mom, who was from Louisiana, sharpshooter, like a Calamity Jane guy, uh, and, and uh, just wowed the people with her skills with a gun. That was man's territory, and here's a woman owning all the guns. Uh, but here again, my dad would study linguistics, my mom would study uh, oral history, anthropology, and began to work with their people's stories, and the entire tribe turned to the Lord. So Nansar is a second generation Christian, but her dad and mom were just absolutely uh, sold out to God and, and brought him to uh, the Lord that way, and their whole family. We have, do we have a few slides that we were gonna just show, just a brief update and some of you, like Troy here and Mike and Darren, came out to Burma before. Oh, I'm looking back that way. Uh, we had these conferences, and, and when, when they were back over there, we had like 350 pastors from uh, about 20-some districts throughout Burma come to study. And this was the year that they were supposed to come from here, Pike Speak, but all the kind of coups and stuff went on in Burma, and we can go in there, but the year that we were still back there, there's Nangsar in the front row, and Peter's up there. Uh, we had over 800 women, a women's conference, women in ministry that came together, and we were able to share with them for a week. Uh, the offshoot of that, that's a big outside picture of them down there, but way up there, the, the principal of the Bible school in Michina, the state capital, has started a whole new Bible training center up on the China-India border, and that's what you see students up there. Everybody famished to learn God's Word, and especially now, even with the dictatorship going on, people either get conscripted by the government, they'll just catch you anywhere you are and, and put you in uniform to go fight the people, uh, or, or the rebels will catch you and, and have you join the militia as well. So. A lot of young people, and you, what, what is it? In Russia, now they're going all over the place to get out of there. The young people in, in Burma are going to the Bible schools to get out of this dilemma and then continue to, to train and study. This is a water project we just finished in Thailand, a 27-kilometer water project that the government couldn't do, and yet the people were suffering with water. Look at that. It looks like bazookas on those trucks a while ago. Uh, but those are not, those are not big uh, guns there. Those are pipes being hauled up to where the water is going to come. At the end, it came into the village, and they, you have some kids there just enjoying themselves with the water. All right, the next, the next set of slides I'd like to just uh, point out. Then we're doing a lot of mango planting. The water came from that two ridges away, way up at the top, down through a valley, up through this ridge and back to those two villages and all, uh, coming through that village as well. But citrus, mangoes, all these kind of home industries being introduced to the people as well. COVID broke out and 200 people had to wait way up at the top there in the forest for two weeks. The women and children wouldn't allow the men to come back to the village because of COVID. So we hauled up supplies to them. All right, the next set is an interesting one. Uh, there, mangoes being distributed, but this lady had kidney uh, failure, and she said she's planting these for her children. But we prayed for healing for her and, and are trusting God that he's going to completely uh, help her come through that situation as well. All right, another last set, I think. 
here I want to dwell just a little bit on. This is the village shamans offering a chicken and a pig sacrifice to be grateful for the water project coming in and all their little offering stands that are put on there. And people had warned me, oh boy, those non-Christians are going to do animal sacrifices and things like that. Don't let them do that. And I knew that if my grandparents were still they would just be horrified. So I was going down to say, we're not going to do this, folks. We're going to pray for this thing. But when I came down out of the house where we were sleeping that day, this man was already weaving this basket platform and said, you know what? We have to do our way as well. And immediately I had to make a decision. What, what do we do? I said, okay, trust God. You do what you have to do, but we'll go up there and we'll pray as well. But here's the amazing thing that happened. I recorded the whole thing on video. He wasn't offering a sacrifice to the mountain spirit, to the river spirit. Everything has a spirit over there, a tree, an anthill. You offend them and you get sick and you have to make these animal sacrifices. It wasn't to that. It wasn't an a, a sacrifice to the uh, grandfather spirit that's at the head of the village, no. He was offering a thanks offering to the big one. That's the first time I heard that. 40 years in Thailand, and yet here it is. This thing happened, and I get to see, hear something about a big one. So it reminded me, you know, Paul was in Athens one time, uh, spreading the gospel, and he was walking around, and he saw the people. They had an altar to the unknown God. He was able to use that and say, let me tell you who the unknown God is. Well, we were able to now talk to these old-timers saying, the big one is God, the creator of heaven and earth, and he has a plan, and his son Jesus is the one who has come in now, wants to forgive us of our sins, wants to come in and dwell uh, uh, in our bodies himself, make us his temple, and begin to ride in on that story and all. So that village, those two villages at the top of the mountain that didn't have water for 54 years, now have clean drinking water right into their village. And with that is the water of life that's coming into that village as well. We had some stipulations on that. They were former opium growers. Opium is being phased out now, but for greed and wanting easy money, methamphetamines being manufactured by drug lords on the Burma side and, and, and people hired to backpack them into Thailand uh, like little human mules. Uh, the drug trafficking is all through this area. Before we can even go in, they would beat up the evangelists going in and threaten them uh, with death. Don't come and bring the gospel here. This is our drug territory. When they asked us to bring water into there, we said, you know what? My ear isn't quite designed that way. But anyway, we'll fix that up with God later on uh, when we get there, you know. What are all these shapes and stuff? Anyway, where are we? Where are we now? Okay, so we said one condition. All right. Devin, you may have twisted it a little bit too much. It won't even fit now, but here we go. All right, I'll hold it like that. Where were we? Anyway, we said, here's the condition. If we, if we, no, I think it's okay. It's okay. I'll just, I'll, okay. I'll handle it. Well, you, you blame me. So yeah. Uh, 
All right, where were we? All right. If we come in with this thing, we knew the drug lords. We sleep in their homes and everything. We said, you have to take your operation out of this whole valley, out of this whole mountain, out of this district. Their wives were in the village, and they were pretty much on the run from the law, and they said, okay, and they totally moved out of there now. So that whole area is going to be a drug-free zone, and, and the gospel is going to go in, into that area as well. So a lot of breakthrough, and those shaman are going to be the next in line to uh, accepting Jesus Christ. Well, today, we're wrapping, not wrapping up, but this, in the fourth chapter of James, I was asked to uh, kind of share what I could glean from this chapter. So let me just read uh, James chapter 4, 1 to 10. And we're talking about uh, the uh, heading I've put down as taking stock of ourselves. Okay, here's what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? That battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend that what, what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What was cut off time now? 10.30. I want to be able to spin on a dime. All right. So, what are we getting out of here? This is the million-dollar question that James is asking us. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You just look around, turn the TV on. The whole world is at war and fighting. What's causing all that? And he says, it's our inward fights that trigger our unfulfilled desires, and it's our inward battles fueled by our uh, unfulfilled envy. Isn't that so true? And, and, and all of this is pointing out that there is a sin factor in us. This is our fallen nature. And nobody can get around that. Nobody has a solution to that. In Thailand, among the Buddhists, they know sin. And, and, and sin is almost like bubble gum that gets caught on your shoe. You step on somebody's gum and boy, are you in trouble. You cannot get, peel that off. Uh, but they have no solution to that. So you are stuck with your sin in this life. You try to do the best you can to probably be reborn better in the next life. And it, it, and it goes on and on like that. So uh, Buddhists are always trying to make merit, okay, to be able to erase the karma that has accumulated in them. There's no solution to sin. They know they are sinners. 
but they don't know how to remove that sin. So if you do good in this life, maybe in the next life you'll even be better. But if you do bad in this life, watch out. You could be reborn as a cockroach. Somebody's just going to come and squash you in the next life. And then it even gets worse. If you are a woman in this life, you will never, never, never reach nirvana unless you are reborn a man in the next life and start tracking. Is that good news for the women here? Absolutely not. It's not good news for the Thai women as well. So guess who is turning to the Lord uh, in flocks and, and, and leading the pack in Thailand? Women are at the first front because they know that somehow or another, it wasn't Buddha that made that scripture, that teaching, but over the years it evolved to where you are not good enough. You are going to have to be reborn a man to start tracking. And so this is why you have people of all ages in the monasteries, from little kids that got their head shaved and wearing the yellow robe to somebody who's an older person but just there for a week or two, they're making merit for their mother. They're making merit for a sister. They're making merit for an aunt so that when they die, they can be reborn a man. So Christ has come in and be able to straighten all that out for them, this cycle, that never-ending cycle. God has come in and cut, straighten it out. Now you can track with him into a better life in your life. Isn't that good news? That is the good news. So uh, we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him, meaning Christ, sin. He made him absolutely pure sin so that he was without sin but became sin so that he could take away our sin and make us the righteousness of God. So this is the theme that Christ is communicating and we're trying to communicate to them as well. And then we see in James our glaring lack. And he says, you do not have because we do not ask. And you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Well, that's an interesting thing. You don't have because uh, you haven't asked. And in John, even, he says to his disciples, you know what? Up till now, you guys haven't asked anything of me. You've been in my entourage, and we've gone from village to village. Now. But one day, I urge you to ask in my name to the Father, and he will give you your desires and all. So what is it that we should be asking? The number one thing I feel in the scriptures that God encourages us to ask is Psalms 2.8. And he even said that to his son. God is talking to Jesus when he says this. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. So God is reclaiming the world. He's in the business of reclaiming everything. He wants us to, first of all, ask for the nations before we ask for a Toyota pickup truck. Uh, he wants us to get our priorities up there, and then all the rest he will give as well. Now, becoming a missionary is involved in trying to ask God to give us these nations, Burma, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, China, and all. But it's the same right here. Your next, your next town, the next city, the next state. These are the nations in your midst. So ask that first and then all the rest. Then we can get that shiny bicycle as well. And we can pray for the other things we need. But this is what God is trying to do. And people over there have the same problem of materialism and being just uh, inundated with this, with all these lures and glitters and all, opium trafficking, 
uh, people trafficking, all that is because they have unfulfilled desires and it is fueling the envy that is within them. Our third point that I see in James is our chronic unfaithfulness. And here again, it's really primarily started with God's own people. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God's people just being unfaithful. He, God communicated to them that he's the husband and they are the wife. Okay, And Jesus himself has said, I am the bridegroom, you are the bride. And yet, that relationship, we continually keep breaking. You look through, read through the book of Judges, and it, it didn't last 40 years. Sometimes, at the most, 80 years of blessing, tracking with God, and boom, something happens. And off they go into adopting the, their near neighbors, idols and everything. And idol worship uh, takes in. But anything can be an idol. This is what, what God is trying to say. When he calls us, you adulterous people. I mean, in today's language, we wouldn't want to say anything like that. But what he's saying is, you are unfaithful to me. I want to call you back to be faithful to me, is what he's saying. And so our propensity uh, to lapse into idolatry is what he's talking about. And it says, friendship with the world leads to becoming alienated from God, and friendship with the world leads to becoming enemies of God. And again and again in the scriptures, God has to tell Israel, you know what? You don't even have to fear the Babylonians. You don't have to fear the Assyrians or Egyptians. I'm going to be your enemy. You're going to have to deal with me. I will personally come and fight with you. Why? Why that extreme? Because... Aligning up with the world and the world system automatically brings you into a collision course with God. That seems to be the message here in, in James. And yet, let's make the distinction. Let's know that earth and world is different. Satan does not own the earth. That belongs to us now. But the world system, he's been called the prince of the world. Even Jesus called him that. And, and he tried his best to even entice Jesus into submitting to him, okay? So in the, in the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he comes at him with three things. He wants to tempt him in his body, his hunger, and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into, you know, into burritos. Uh, and, 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 right? Boy, wouldn't we just jump at that, man? Uh, turn that into Chick-fil-A, man. I'll be, I'll be right there. But anyway, he, he passed that. He said, nope. You know, man does not live on French fries. He lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then he wanted to get at his ego. He, he takes him up to a tall mountain and says, up onto the tall building and says, jump from here. Doesn't the Bible say the angel will catch you down there? Not even a toe will be stubbed. And Jesus says, nope, you're not supposed to tempt God, okay? So the media would be down there. You'd be on CNN tonight if you jumped off of there, but nothing doing. He says, you cannot tempt God. Then finally, he, the prince of the world shows him in a mirage or something, all the kingdoms of the world, just bow to me and I'll give you all this. Could he give that? Yes, he could give the world system to Jesus, he couldn't give the world, the, the earth to Jesus. That belongs to God. So we are caretakers of this world, but we don't want to be enticed into the world system. 
and all its enticements. That's what James is talking about here and is talking about how we can come to really truly submit to God and humbling ourselves, getting rid of our pride and, and submitting to God and allowing him to come and lead and guide us. So our personal architecture, this is where I really feel James is honing in on, he says. And, and the verse that really got me, I had never even seen that. Thank you, Darren, for assigning this to me. I'd, I'd read through that. I never caught that. It says, God is jealously longing for, the, for his spirit that he put in to dwell in us. Not longing for our spirit, necessarily. His spirit that he put into us. So we all are carriers of the Holy Spirit. That's just been given to us, guaranteed. You were baptized. You became a new person. The seal that he puts on you. Paul talks again and again that the Holy Spirit has a guaranteed seal in you to the end of time. We're sealed into him. But yet, that's the one Jesus, I mean, that's the one God is jealous about. Why is he jealous about the Holy Spirit that was already put in you? Well, we may have gagged him. We may have bound him hand and foot and tossed him into the closet and put duct tape on him. We are responsible for this relationship to blossom. And, and if we are the temple, this again, I'm beginning to see in this that the three-in-one God, the triune God, the Trinity, wants to align and absolutely fit like hand and glove with the three-in-one that we are made of, body, soul, and spirit. Click. At that point, then, submission takes place, pride gets erased, and he begins to work in us. And so one of the big, big contributions that he says will happen when you accept that and you ungag the Holy Spirit and let him communicate with God and bring him alongside you to pray with him, with God, he will eradicate your pride. Grace will be given to you to erase pride out of your life. Again and again, my wife has, asked, has told me, Johnny, you are, very, you are filled with pride. You know, because I, I see myself as trying to think big and whatever. <laughs> but no, it can be prideful. You can think that you have a plan, you have a strategy. But if it doesn't come from God, it's just going to be absolutely useless. But pride can just creep up in us just like that. But Jesus is saying here through James that if we were to submit, if we are to submit to God, he will, he will erase our pride and he will introduce grace into us. And Jesus' middle name almost is grace and truth. Okay, so when Jesus came into the world, the apostles all, the early apostles said, we ate with him, we tracked with him, we touched him. He was in our midst, and this is what we saw of him. He was full of grace and truth. And so, first, truth has to come and reveal who we are as fallen people and begin to see where he can come and build us back up and, and, and perform surgery in us and eradicate that pride. Grace is brought in to bring us up to speed in God. And then, when that happens, we're able to submit to him. And as we submit to him, then he shows favor. Favor upon favor is how... James is putting it. More grace upon more grace will be given to us. So submitting to 
Jesus in this way, inside from the inside out, not just from the surface. Okay, out in Thailand, we also have Muslims. And, and the, 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 the meaning of the word Islam are the surrendered people. So they pride themselves for surrendering to Allah. And so they'll have all these rituals uh, when they pray five times a day. If you're on the road and you're traveling, you just put your mat out on the side of the road and just kneel towards Mecca and pray. But if you're going into a temple, into the mosque, they have an elaborate ritual. They're washing their hands all the way down to their elbows and, and all like that. That's the whole idea of purifying yourself. And down below here, Paul, I mean, James is going to encourage us to wash our hands, purify our hearts, evaluate our emotions, and genuinely humble ourselves. But the world takes all that and puts that into an outer ritual. They're just going through the ritual. We Christians cannot afford to do that. We have to humble ourselves from inside our own spirits. So, point number four, our inner struggles. This is what's going on in our lives. We are always absorbed in ourselves. Self-absorption seems to be one of the things that keeps us for the, from all that God would want to do in our lives. I am the captain of my ship. And yet we're not. Remember that beautiful picture. Uh, uh, you can find it in Bible bookstores and all. A young, a young man is at a steering wheel on a ship. And right behind him is Jesus helping him to steer his life. His boat is all. So we are not captains of our ship. If we can submit to God and say, you know what? I give you full permission to guide me and lead me then he can come in and straighten us out and bring us into the full abundance of his life. Then we are also self-deceived people, okay? Again and again, we think, I can handle this. I don't need someone else helping me. I don't need someone else's advice. I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. And yet, God is saying, you do. And then we are self-sufficient, okay? I can handle this. I don't need God. But God is saying, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you as well. That is the great promise that God has given us. So today, as we look at this chapter of James, what he is asking us to do is to truly come and, and let God speak into our lives. We had a situation in Thailand one time. This one drug lord uh, had married a minor wife. They have wives all over the place. But this particular wife was a Christian, a Lisu uh, woman that wanted to convert him. And, and he was just that close to, to becoming a Christian. And, we, and she wanted us to come down to her house and pray for him and all, and we went down. I even gave him a Bible and said, read this every day and God will speak to your life. Well, we go down there another time, and he has the Bible up on his spirit shelf. They have like a little rack in their living room, a little shelf there with the incense sticks and the candles and the water and the rice, everything there. And the Bible was up there. And I asked him, why is the Bible up there? You should be reading it. That's not, to go, that's not a, a little sacred offering up there. He said, oh, I read it, but it's pointing its fingers at me. <laughs> Every time I read it, I just can't bear it. And I said, that's the whole reason. That's the whole point. That is God speaking to your life. 
But no, he couldn't handle it. He had to put it aside. So if we're doing that, are we submitting to God? No, we're not. We have to have his word, just let it cut any way it cuts. Let, it, let us bleed any way we can bleed. And at that point, God comes and intervenes in our life and brings us that. So come unto me, all you who are weary, he says, and take this yoke upon yourselves. My burden is light, and I will help that way. And so the yoke could be looked at two different ways. In Asia, Nangsar's people, they wear a yoke. They carry their own burdens, but they have a shoulder yoke. When the load gets too heavy, you put the strap on your head and the weight goes through your head. If it's okay, if your head gets tired, you take it down to your shoulder. But I think the yoke that Jesus is talking about is like an ox cart where he'll take one side, you take one side. He's the trained one, you're the wild one, and he's going to help us carry this burden and go through life together. Amen? Amen. That's the message of James that I see. Thank you so much, Johnny. That was awesome. You know,